our brain, our wiring is part of the problem. But when you go as far as saying the number one reason somebody's obese is genetics, that's where I think both of us disagree because we start with the stats. 42% of Americans in 19 or today are obese. 1970, 13%. Our genetics haven't changed. Mm-mm. So that's the first opportunity to expose that this is this can't be true. Yeah, there's multiple reasons. The exact reason. It's not genetics. And so genetics, if you look at epigenetics, which is the study of behavior and how your behavior influences your genetics, that epigenetics is so much more powerful than your um, your genetics, 85%. I mean, there's so much research on epigenetics, and we just have to have to wake up like our behavior matters. And when you give people that behavior doesn't matter, then that's the ticket to like be reckless and do anything you want. I think the point is I look at this every day. There's always opportunity for me yeah. to improve my lifestyle or you or anybody. Everybody can get better. Nobody's perfect. It's always a flow of life. But when you start changing one or two small habits at a time and you're willing to stay in the process, that's when you start seeing the magic happen. Because we're not talking about that. We're not talking about let's develop a process. Let's develop some habits. And that's what kind of irritated. This is what led to this podcast that, no, this is not This is not true. This is not the answer. This is one thing that we could use as a last resort. Welcome back to the Rest, Eat, Move podcast, and uh, as we're continuing into the new year, probably the number one topic on many people's mind around health is weight loss, and so what we saw recently in the news, the media, social media, Twitter, uh, 60 Minutes, is this new miracle drug uh, to, to solve obesity, and it's an obesity drug, and we'll get into all the details on it, but... Um, we're going to talk about weight loss today with the side conversation about this prescription drug to help people lose weight. So to start, big fella, what do you think about a drug to solve weight loss or to solve obesity? Well, I'm sitting back with your mom watching 60 Minutes. I love 60 Minutes. And Leslie Stahl comes on and has this conversation about obesity. And the next thing you know, it just turns sideways, in my opinion. And it's like, okay, here's this miracle drug with no side effects that, you know, it, oh, by the way, it's $1,500 a month. It's too expensive. Um, but I, also, it's the same exact drug as we're taking for diabetes. So the dosage is a little bit higher, this and that. So now everybody's thinking, okay. So really, was, in my opinion, taken out of complete context, like it's, it could be a tool but now it's everywhere, you know. And WGR had it on in, in Michigan here. Radio. It's on radio. It's on you know social. It's, TikTok. It's everywhere, and so we have to step back for a second. It's like almost, in my opinion, it was like reckless um, interviewing. And I was thinking, where's Barbara Walters at this point? Because <laughs> she would have done all her homework, and I felt like 60 Minutes didn't do their homework because again. Really, let's talk about this. Well, I, I did some digging, and so if you watched that, I watched it. I know you watched it a couple times, but actually when they say what drug it is in the manufacturer, they also have to, by law, say that they're sponsored by. And so they're sponsored by the drug that they're doing the story on. That's, Correct. That's just one, one tidbit of information. We're not going to go down that path 
at but least today. That's a very powerful. Okay, so now you got the you know the fox watching the hen house. I'm like, really? I mean, this here's is... a question for you. You don't know this, but how much did Nova Nordics make last year? I have no idea. Guess. It's a lot of money. Twenty-two billion dollars. Well, one of the things you know they're talking when they came on WGR. There's another medication. It's a different name, but they're predicting this drug, which has it's the same category, same everything. We can get into that in a minute. But this is going to outpace Humira as the number one drug in the world. Humira is right now at about $48 billion, and this drug they're predicting will outpace that if the FDA allows them to. And what crazy, and again, I'll, I'm kind of losing, you know, the. the That's right. But I, I thought to myself, so well, the big question is what qualifies you for this weight loss drug? I got into the details. I'll, I'll explain that. So I just was shocked that, firstly, over 100 million people in the United States qualify for the this medication. So let, let's let, we'll come back so, to, to anyway. all that. But like as the the viewer or listener um, who hasn't spent 35 years in, I wouldn't say you've spent 45 or 35 years in the weight loss space, but that's been a topic of many people's conversation before they see you, during see you, like that is a driver for people from a health standpoint. But here's what the listeners need to know. Almost half of American adults are obese. The actual percentage is about 42%. That's 110 million Americans. Now, I went deeper and I said, okay, because we're going to get into this. How many people were obese in 1970? 26 million. Because we can throw the percentage in 1970, 10 to 13% of adults, American adults were obese. But when you hear percentages, it doesn't really resonate. But think about this. We have more people today. Yes, we know that. But in 1970, we had 26 million that could qualify for this drug. Today, that's 110 million Americans. I just found that wild. And then if you go to the world, this is kind of interesting. If we have 42% obesity, it is a world problem, but world obesity is only at 20%. So we are the driver, Western uh, society. There's almost 8 billion people. You can see that this drug could be administered to 42% of American adults if, if it gets to that point. Now there's supply chain. There, there's in high demand, it's expensive. All those things I think probably are a good thing right now so people don't just take it because they heard it on the news. But I think that's what the listeners need to know. A lot of people struggling with this issue. And I think the key that we have to define here to get the conversation going is what is obesity? And this is where it gets very slippery. And so I looked at what the definition of the classified disease from 2013. Again, back to the disease. Why are they wanting to call it a disease? Oh, well, we'll get to that. But <laughs> the definition of obesity is abnormal or excessive fat accumulation. I think that's a good definition. That per, uh, you know creates a risk for health. The problem is how do you measure it? And that's where I think it gets slippery because the way that they measure it is you have to have a BMI over 30, which doesn't necessarily 100% give you the 
excessive fat accumulation. You don't know that necessarily, but it's a, it's a good rule of thumb, easy to measure. And then overweight is BMI over 25. So I wanted to lay the ground rule of the definition of obesity is abnormal or excessive fat accumulation. That's a, uh, an issue for health risk. And if you go back and type two diabetes, we'll talk about type two in 1960, we really didn't have type two diabetes. And today we have, you know, one in 10 trending to one in four. And so when you look at obesity and type two diabetes, they go hand in hand and in, in pharmaceuticals, they're doing the same exact drug for the same. So now you can get that drug being a type two diabetic, but you can't get it for obesity. And that's going to probably switch here very quickly if that gets passed. And if it does, now you're opening another can of worms that, okay, now everybody's going to be, whether you have type 2 diabetes or not, has access to this. So I think our goal of this conversation, one, it's relevant. It's going to be, you're going to see it on, like we said, you're going to see it on Twitter. You're going to see it on Instagram. You're going to see it on TikTok. You'll see it on the news. Um, I think there's some people that this could be a good thing for. I think that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing is, this is just another example of we're trying to blanket this as a disease. It's much obesity is much more complicated than the glucose, the weight. There's behavior change. There's genetics. All these things we're going to talk about. As a listener, our goal is to really educate you on a couple different options because this is now an option. And if we just look at it from it has no ben- no side effects. It's the best thing ever. In in our opinion, I would say there are better options uh, before you would go down this path. Is that fair? You, you hit it right on the head. It there. This is a tool. This is an option. It's a you know. It's an opportunity in the medicine cabinet or the medicine bag. But it's really for many people. It, it gets into almost a last option or like. You know, when you look at weight loss surgery, these are last options. They're options, and that's the newest technology. But for many people, which I've worked with my whole life, um, the, the bottom line, at some point in time, you're going to have to change behavior. And when I was listening to the doctor they had on 60 Minutes, the first thing she said, this is a, you know, obesity is a, a, a disease of the brain. And then she kept following that up. The number one reason we have obesity, the number one, which really got me angry. (laughs) Oh, now he's mad. Is that it's genetics. So if that was true, then why don't we have obesity in 1970? I think this is an example of isolated medicine where a specialist is studying a field. and And the disease, as of 2013 is now obesity is classified as a disease. I think that's slippery because obesity to me is all-encompassing of many different things. Unfortunately, weight is what people think about. But, you know, you said something. In that 60 Minutes interview, I think it was uh, Dr. Stanford, she said obesity is a disease of the brain. The first several chapters of your book is Health Begins in the Mind. I don't think we'd argue that behavior, our brain, our, our wiring is part of the problem. But when you go as far as saying the number one reason somebody's obese is genetics, that's where I think both of us disagree because we start with the stats. 42% of Americans in 19, or today 
are obese. 1970, 13%. Our genetics haven't changed. Mm-mm. So that's the first opportunity to expose that this is this can't be true as the number one cause of obesity is genetics. And I, and, and they kept coming back that the scientists don't agree of what's causing it. Well, there's multiple reasons. Nobody knows. Yeah, there's multiple reasons, the exact but reason. it's not genetics. And so genetics, if you look at epigenetics, which is the study of behavior and how your behavior influences your genetics, that epigenetics is so much more powerful than your um, your genetics, 85%. I mean, there's so much research on epigenetics, and we just have to have to wake up like our behavior matters. And when you give people that behavior doesn't matter, then that's the ticket to like be reckless and do anything you want. But Yeah, I thought the most reckless thing I heard was um, I do think obese people um, get thought about differently. I think everyone comes to a conclusion they overeat or they don't exercise, and I think that is, that is a problem. In my work, working with someone that's obese or overweight, um, most of the time I think there's an opportunity to change some lifestyle. I, I, I can't tell you, thinking back, when there hasn't been an opportunity. Well, I think there's an outlier, but I don't, yeah, and, I don't see it. Very and I often. think you're right on. I think the bo- point is, I look at this every day. There's always opportunity for me yeah. to improve my lifestyle or you or anybody. Everybody can get better. Nobody's perfect. It's always a flow of life. But when you start changing one or two small habits at a time and you're willing to stay in the process, that's when you start seeing the magic happen. Because we're not talking about that. We're not talking about let's develop a process. Let's develop some habits. And that's what kind of irritated. This is what led to this podcast that, no, this is not This is not true. This is not the answer. This is one thing that we could use as a last resort. So let's go into the epigenetics a little bit. So a couple of things that I did a little homework on is heredity usually means genetics, but um, what you inherit, lifestyle, is different than genetics. So, for example, you, both my grandparents, your parents, smoked cigarettes, drank alcohol in excess. In excess, for sure. You inherited many genetics from them. But you also could have inherited that lifestyle. And for most people, we do inherit the diet, the rituals, the habits of our surroundings. It's, it's, we can't separate that. So when we're doing a study on genetics, the challenge is how did you separate lifestyle? Because, for example, grandpa smoked cigarettes and drank for many, many years. You never smoke cigarettes and you don't drink in excess um, but you do have the genetic encoding. So that's to me very interesting because I don't know how you would ever do a study and separate that. You'd have to almost at birth take somebody and teach them all. It's like twins. The movie Twins, if you're not familiar with, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito, they're twins. One goes to an island remote, reads books, wildlife, healthy, and the other one is an or- orphan child that grows up in the city and he's a kind of a He's a shyster. Con, con mm-hmm. artist. Yeah. It's a movie, but it's the same it's the same idea that environment does matter. What's well, like trading places with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy? 
I mean, I don't think Rashawn would know what movie that is, but we'll. <laughs> but you 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 think about this over time. So I think if you go back, I talk to my my siblings about that sometime. I'm like, how did all of us get interested in health when we lived in a lifestyle that we had beefaroni and all the junk food and you know the smoking and drinking? But there's traits that are ex- almost identical to your dad, but then I would say your health is not the same. Correct. And there's something that we have to understand. So. I, I did some of the stats. If you're um, born with parents who are obese, and this is their study, you have a 50 to 80% that you will be obese. That's why they're saying it's the number one risk factor for obesity. That's called the causation study. That's not actually proving that because they're obese, you become obese. They didn't separate do you eat the same foods? Do you exercise the same way? Do you have the same toxicity? Whatever it is, there's so many different variables. So When I was in grad school, they talked about alcoholism. And if you have one per- parent, your chances of being alcoholic is like 35 to 40% greater than somebody doesn't have that. If both parents are alcoholics, you have a 50 to 70% greater chance, greater. So already, you know, both my parents were classified as alcoholics they both i mean and none of our the siblings are so were we more prevalent to have that for for sure but you know i felt like way back in the day i didn't i mean i like to have a glass of wine or a beer occasionally but i don't like how it makes me feel so that was always my driver and i could see what was going on from a health standpoint and i didn't want any part of it but you're exactly right it's a causation but it's not. So I think genetics play a big role, but I think both uh, me and you, and I, I think most of the scientific community understands epigenetics now. And if you, one of my favorite books is The Biology of Belief, which is a cell biologist who's studied the cells, understands the DNA and RNA is in the middle of the cell. But the most important aspect of our genetics in the cell is the environment surrounding that, which is the cell membrane and all these things we can get into, which is your lifestyle, the foods you're putting in your body, the stress management, the sleep, the toxicity, exercise, sunlight, you know, positive thoughts, all these things, they won't reverse genetics, but they can, um, th- they can really hinder or Well, and I think you said another thing too, when you look at a family, for example, you kind of have to break the chain at some point in time. And it, it doesn't have to be, you know, militant or hard or whatever. But if you start changing what your family is eating and drinking, that's the environment. So now, you know, when you look at that, what's everybody in the household eating or what are they drinking? And that was the question we always get is like, how do I feed my kids? Well, it starts with you. Like, what do you eat? And then slowly, you know, work with them and share with them and create a lifestyle that they can like and enjoy too. So that all comes in, in play when you think about obesity. I think this podcast could go on for hours because it, it really hit a chord with us because we, we truly think it's, it was kind of reckless. And, and recklessness sometimes can create a tension and then down the road maybe there's more exposure of a, a topic that we do think obesity needs to be addressed. But Wagovi is the new drug for weight loss from Nova Nordics. Ozempic is the type 2 drug. They're the exact same drug. And what they realize is they have this new 
uh, feature, upping the dose a little bit that can create this weight loss. What's really reckless is it's not covered by insurance right now for weight loss because it hasn't proven long-term weight loss. And that, I think, is a critical point. So you take this drug, you lose 40, 50, 75 pounds. Maybe you're 40, maybe you're 50. It doesn't matter the age. But are you going to sustain that into 60, 70, 80? They have, there's, it's going to take so long to prove that, and that's one of the challenges. And they're saying that right now, that this is a, this is a medication you take the rest of your life. Rest of your life. Right. Then I heard her say, it's a fabulous, robust medication. Uh, Insurance won't cover it. And you would never treat high blood pressure or diabetes this way, where you would not allow someone to take a medication. I think that's where the red flag is. I think people should treat high blood pressure and type 2 diabetes a different way than medication. Because it's preventable. It's reversible. And one of, the, one of the things that I think is really interesting, and I've said this before, but when I've thought about it, obesity causes type 2 diabetes. That's what you hear. Huh, I'm not sure that obesity causes type 2 diabetes. I think the lifestyle that contributes to obesity at the same linear kind of correlation will cause type 2 diabetes. So when you say the health crisis of it causes type 2 diabetes, it causes hypertension, it causes stroke, it's a risk factor for cancer, I think it's the lifestyle that creates all of these things because me and you both know someone that has type 2 diabetes that's not obese. I know people that are not obese have hypertension. I know people that have cancer. That it, Obesity, considering it as a disease, I think is one of the slippery slopes that we are going to get into in modern medicine because... Uh, now the, the box is open, and now we can prescribe medications. And uh, now there's, there's nothing that we can't well, eat, nothing that we can't do. That Well, if we have a tree and the roots are not healthy, the branches are not going to be healthy. So the branch might be diabetes, branch might be high blood pressure. It's going to rear its head in different ways. And so, But the rot, bottom line is we're not, we, we're not looking at this. We're looking at this as isolation. We need to look at it as globally, like, how do we get the body healthy? As the body gets healthier, generally your weight doesn't have to be perfect, but gets better. Your blood pressure gets better. Don't you look at weight as a symptom? Symptom. Symptom. Just like your skin, symptom. your hair, symptom. your nails, your gut yeah. health, your digestion. And some people have a tendency to gain weight, again, back to the genetics. But this whole set point thing, and you're talking about COVID, and people are gaining all the weight, and it's all genetics. I'm like, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, that's an interesting. So set point, um, one of the things that they, the reason that they talked about why obesity is in the brain is because an evolutionary phenomenon to, for the brain to retain fat to avoid famine. I just thought that was interesting. It's been so long since we've had to avoid famine. And, and it makes sense, and it sounds kind of like, wow, that's kind of interesting. But one, what they're saying is many people gain weight in COVID. I think it was they called it the, the, you know, the COVID-19 of COVID-19. weight, 19 pounds of weight. And so what she's saying, once you gain 19 pounds, your brain rewires and says, I got to stay at that weight. And so it tells you what to eat. Again, that's so slippery because I don't know about you, but over the holidays, COVID-19, I did gain weight, but there's, there's, many, there's many reasons why that was, and I didn't have a set point. It was more of a, 
everything, well, the stress you, and all the things around. But it. if you look at most people, and again, I've trained, I don't know how many people in my lifetime, you know, one-on-one and, you know, groups and speaking, whatever. But the, when I, when people ask the question about losing weight and dieting, and I hear this all the time, I mean, Leslie Stahl talked about dieting. I don't even, why do I want to be on a diet? I want to create a lifestyle that I can sustain. And if I looked at it and I did this slowly, and it's not so hard, it doesn't matter who you're working with. If somebody needs to lose 200 pounds or 100 pounds or whatever, I would do the same exact thing. All the goal is we're trying to create a lifestyle that you can start. That that person can. That person can. Yeah, everyone's exactly. different. So that's, everyone is different. Right. So if you're going on this diet or that diet, I mean, I looked at, like, go back in 1820, it was the, you know, the Lord Byram diet was apple cider vinegar. People were like, apple cider vinegar. And then craziness in 1920 was a lucky strike diet. Cigarettes. So you'd smoke cigarettes. So you, I mean, this is the craziest thing. People thought this was real. And then from there, you know, you got in the, you know, in, in 2000, we had the, the alley diet where you sprinkle stuff on food <laughs> that it wouldn't be absorbed in the body. What was the one where they took the hormone through the nose? Oh, the HCG. And then you mm-hmm. got, you know, and then, you know, you got the, the high carb diet. I remember when I was delivering uh, Frito-Lay products in the 80s and you had snack oil cookies and Entenmann's coffee cakes that had no carbs in them or high carbs and no fat. And then today it's the keto diet, which is the high fat. So we got to well, no, get out today, of the mindset. Today it's taking a medication. Yeah, the get, yeah that's exactly right. But we got to get out of the mindset, and that's what we want to teach. All right, so one last point on uh, obviously our very passionate interest in uh, this is reckless. Dr. Stanford said, you know, and she was kind of saying this like everyone knows this. She said, many, many of us go on a diet. And then she said, like the biggest loser. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't, I don't know anyone that went on The Biggest Loser. Uh, I don't know, hundreds of people in the world did the show Biggest Loser, his TV show. She said, yeah, a diet like The Biggest Loser. And I'm thinking, that wasn't a diet. That was extreme exercise with calorie restrictions on a camp for a TV program. And the goal was to lose mass amount of weight. She, she used the word diet. Like diets won't work because they're like The Biggest Loser. I don't like the word diet, but Biggest Loser wasn't a diet either. Biggest Loser was so many different things that was like trying to lose weight as fast as possible. So when you compare it to that as the only thing people are doing to try to lose weight, I know many people that are cutting out carbs only and not exercising at all, and that's not going to work. So Yeah, and again, back to dieting, and so again – when you think of dieting for most people... But can people, you believe she said diet and then well, she so compared let, it to let Biggest me say Loser? something about The Biggest Loser. So The Biggest Loser is, a, is a, a TV, very popular show at one time. Can you imagine going on that show and you lose a pound a week? It'd be boring. Everybody would lose their mind. They'd turn it right off. Yes. Yeah, but if you're gaining, losing 32 pounds in one week, you're like... And everybody's in, unveiling that every week... You got to beat the next person while you're dehydrating. You're working out five hours a day. You're eating nothing. Of you course, have no job. Yeah, hey, this is what you're doing. You're in a camp, mm-hmm. so you can't even that that using that analogy. Can is, you believe? I mean, this is. A, I was shocked when this she is said a, that. This is a national program with a lot of liability, and it was just it was extremely so. Anyway, so to me, reckless. let's go. This just while we wrap that point up, but when you look at 
what what we talk about or what you know you think about dieting everybody has an intentional focus and so certain times of the year you get in more of a flow i'm gonna get a little more focus maybe a little less focus but that's the goal if every individual has their own flow Mm -hmm. and that's what i try to teach that's what we try to teach is we try to teach you a flow like over the holidays, yeah, you let your hair down, you, you eat maybe stuff that you probably don't normally eat, but then you're coming back into your normal lifestyle, your normal habits, and that's what we try to do is try to help them. That's where that's why we had a little, you know, hit the nerve. Like you're not helping people to be healthier, and if you can get people to feel and think about health first, the weight or the process that will follow. But that's where everybody focuses on. I got to lose weight, and I. No, let's focus on getting healthy first. And again, I think if somebody was morbidly obese, and this was a good thing to help trigger them into, so we're, we're talking about, you know, 300, 400 pounds, this might be a tool. Here's what we know is going to happen, and that's why we want to have this podcast. The reason why it's in short supply, this drug that we're talking about, is because Hollywood and p- many people, for vanity reasons, take this drug because it it's not really going to cause weight loss for just the extreme obese. It'll cause weight loss for anybody, and that's the science we're going to get into in a second. It's like steroids, you know? Are steroids going to work? Yeah. Yeah. Is growth hormone going to work? Yeah. 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 But why would I want – I don't have to do that to get, you know, to where I want Again, to Again, everybody has choices. This is a choice. So let's talk about the drug. So um, this drug was a type 2 diabetes um, medication, meaning that it's going to have to help control glucose, A1C, and the kind of scientific um, definition of it is GLP-1 antagonist, which is a glucagon-like peptide 1 receptor antagonist. So we're kind of, we know about glucagon, we know about insulin, but what it's really doing is it activates a receptor in the brain that makes you think that glucagon has been triggered. You can go into this more as an exercise physiologist, but what that means is insulin comes out, which decreases glucose. Talk to the listeners of why that helps with, with weight loss. Well, in the human body, when you eat food, your body, your glucose level is going to rise. And really the goal of when you eat food is to feed your cells. And what helps the glucose get into a cell it's called insulin. And so insulin opens up the cell to be fed. In a type 2 diabetic, the cell is too stiff and rigid, and it's very difficult for insulin to open up the cell. Hence, now I have type 2 diabetes. So really, that's now, now they're thinking, well, if, what if we could help control glucose more and, and mimic this hormone that makes me more satisfied? And oh, by the way, when I take this diabetes medication, it's helping me to lose weight. Well, of course it's going to help you lose weight. And glucagon is the opposite of insulin. So it's a safety mechanism. So if my glucose levels drop too low, because insulin's going to drop them, that's why we've all done this over Thanksgiving. We've eaten all the cookies, and then we want to take a nap. And then we want to get up from the nap and eat more cookies that raise our glucose levels. So now people are like, I can't control it. It's in my brain. Yeah, you haven't controlled your glucose. So that's what glucagon does. Glucagon is a safety mechanism to help you not have a too far drop in. So, so one, it's going to help at the cellular level lose weight. Correct. But then it's also going to control cravings because Correct. you're now mimicking hormones. Again, we're, this isn't for 
defining what hormones are, but hormones are a necessary thing. You start playing with hormones, many different things are going to happen. And, and why we're talking about hormones real quickly. So when I sit down with people about weight loss, I talk about omega-3 and omega-6 fats and why they're essential for stabilizing your body weight over time. Not only do they help with the brain, but it helps to stimulate, whether it's brown fat or uh, prostaglandins or all the things that go on inside the body. So now when you have the raw materials to do that, they start feeling more satisfied. So, So there's so many things you can do from an eating standpoint that allows to do that on top of movement. So there's a lot of variations here, variables, that allow you to be more satisfied and we've all done this before. I mean, the holidays just got over. I'm like, yeah. if I if I if I decide I eat that cookie, I'm probably gonna eat another cookie. And what we both know is every prescription drug has a side effect. And it's not a side effect; it's an effect. It's an effect. And what it will lead to, in many cases, is another medication. And that's why the average 18 plus year old in the United States gets prescribed or takes 12 different, or not different, but gets 12 prescriptions filled over the age of 18. That's, I think, just a crazy number because we're looking at this one isolated thing. How do we solve it? Let's find a medication. Away we go. Same thing with exercise. If it just came in a medication, which it's coming, people will take it. Well, one of the greatest side effects, if you really look at some of these medications, is pancreatitis. And pancreatitis is an inflammation of the pancreas, and pancreas is the thing that controls glucagon and insulin. So it's no wonder. And if you start messing with a pancreas, and again, they're saying, oh, it might cause a little nausea or it might cause vomiting or it might cause this or that. No, there's some underlying big deal up here, especially if you're taking this thing long term. And this is a drug that they're saying indefinitely. Indefinitely. The rest of your life. Correct. So you stop it. Just like if you calorie restrict or if you cut out carbohydrates, you will lose weight. Most people can't sustain that, so then they add it back in. And the weight comes right back on. Probably the same thing with this drug. You stop it. Those hormones will be so out of whack that who knows what's going to And that's happen. why we really talk about small steps because the key is how do you build some habits? And if you do this slowly, you know what? A big thing, let's start with drinking more water. You know, it's, it's, it's the simple things that start adding up and adding up and adding up. So I was doing some homework on the GLP-1, and that's all I was typing in, and then – I checked my social media, and it was interesting. I got served ads. So, again, one of the dangerous things is we're all marketed to. But now this this drug being, you know, something that can help a disease like obesity, with all the technology that we have, with all the money that's made. So I got served this ad by this company called Found, and then I saw that Roman and Hims and hers – all you can get this drug sent to your house by just qualifying by being obese. Again, that's a slippery slope. Um, and it's something that I think the listeners have to understand that we have to be our own health advocates. We have to be a little bit more educated. And again, at the end of the day, we have choices, uh, but we have to, I think, try a couple things before we jump to maybe the easy button. And that's maybe a, a little bit harsh because some people, I think, could really benefit from this. And I think you make that point. I think that in certain situations, this might be a, a, a you know a nice alternative. But before anybody gets down that path, you got to start with some basics. Yeah, I'm, I'm worried more 
honestly about the person that's uh, 40 pounds overweight. Correct. Their friend said, hey, I got this miracle thing from a buddy or a, a girlfriend or I know a doctor that can prescribe it. And, you know, it's just that quick fix like Hollywood, you know, in Hollywood, you know, it's starting to be exposed. They do steroids. They do HGH. They take medications like this because they have to look good in, in six months. And uh, it's it's not easy to always have a healthy lifestyle to to look your best. And then one of the things we talk a lot about, and I, I love talking about this, but I was talking about this with a uh, one of my clients the other day, and I said, you know, it's never about planting the flag at the top of the mountain. It's the journey. And the journey is always the, the interesting, the best part. It always will be. So it's not like I'm going to lose 20 pounds or whatever it is, and at the end I'm going to be so happy with myself. It's always about the transition, the journey, because if it's always that easy, then there's not a lot of satisfaction there, in my opinion. Here's a couple things when you think about the glucagon, and now you're playing with hormones, is what's it going to do for your endocrine system, which is your hormonal regulation? What's it going to do for your gut health? So if, if someone that was overweight or obese or struggling with their health, one of the first things we address is gut health. And so one of the, I think, harmful things to say, well, they've tried diet and exercise, I haven't found anyone that's come in here that didn't have opportunity to improve gut health, improve pH balance, improve the, the function of their cells. But when you start to go down this path, I just think, you know, you're going to get worse absorption because that's what's happening. You're mm -hmm. really trying to mimic something to speed up absorption. Um, no one in any of these articles or websites talk about quality and nutrition just like diet and exercise. Well, that could mean anything. Well, and I think that's the thing. There's not a lot of training. There's so much more training opportunities to get people to understand this, like you're saying about gut health. Everybody should know about gut health. We should be teaching it earlier on. We should be talking more about stress, what stress is. Which you know, leads to gut, bad gut health. Bad gut health. So, again, it's, so, there's a, so when you hear, like, I'm eating great and I'm work, moving my body, well, there's so much more to that. So one big point. So if, if – uh, the experts in this space are saying the number one cause of obesity is genetics. I think what I want everyone to kind of put in their head is this new science of epigenetics. And epigenetics is the behavior you have, the lifestyle you choose has an impact on your genetics. And there's, I think one of the most wonderful books is the biology of belief that explains this at the cell level of how it could work. And, um, and I think to me, that's the hope. Because if we're just dealt this bill of genetics and we got no control, okay, then we're all, I think, kind of doomed because obesity is off the charts, cancer is off the charts, gut health, you can't go anywhere. These are not purely genetics because their genetics haven't changed. And I think people, it gives people hope that they, their behavior does influence you know, their energy, the their, their lifestyle, and their future. So absolutely, you want to create that hope. That, and this is, we've, I've seen it my whole career. So is it easy? No. And it's it can it be can very It can be simple and it can be. So why don't you give the listeners maybe uh, five tips of, okay, they're struggling with trying to lose weight. This caught their attention. They're thinking, okay, what, I want this. Everybody wants this. I want, I want to feel good in my clothes. I want to lose weight. I've struggled with it. I feel like I've tried every option. What, what are the, let's give them. A couple tips coming out of here. So I think number one, when I sit down with people, is I really want to begin with your health begins in your mind. So we really want to create this awareness about your what your beliefs are, 
um, what what you want, what your self awareness is, because we all have those. You know, your why, what's your drive, your emotional connection. Are you taking? What are the one steps we're going to take? So I kind of always lead into that, because once we they create get their mind right, we got to get their mind right, create that framework, and really hit hard that. We're going to really walk out of here today doing one or two things. We're not doing 20. Okay. We're doing one or two. So, so now they have the belief right now that I can do this. It's not that hard. You don't want to make it hard. Number two is you have to start venturing down a little bit about understanding stress. Because if your stress button, which is physical, is on, your fight or flight's on, you're going to have a difficult time losing weight. Because when your fight or flight button is on, again, we all have it. But if it's chronically on, the chronic stress, the physical stress, the body's going to create stress hormones, and one of those stress hormones is called cortisol. And cortisol is a storing hormone. So on the other side of the equation is your lean. So cortisol survival, which makes survival, sense. Survival, adrenaline, Storage. aldosterone. Those are all survival. And then you have your building or your, your growth. Thriving. Your thriving hormones, and that's your testosterone, estrogen, whatever. So when the stress hormones are on, the thriving hormones are off. So if, if, if you don't get people to understand that, they're always going to feel like they're climbing up the hill. Mm-hmm. So once they get that understand, we're going to talk about breathing and, and maybe reframing, but we're going to talk about stress. And then from there, we move into gut health because you can't have good gut health if you're always in fight or flight. So now we get the gut health. You're building the garden of a gut. You get the gut healthier. Real so now, foods. So now the body's really, you know, you don't have to take a probiotic. You start eating real foods. You eat an apple, water with lemon. You're just doing that. You're building that good gut health. And then from there, as simple as it starts sounding, then you start adding some things to their diet. Make sure they're drinking enough water. Maybe it's an omega-3 fat like the cod liver I think that's oil. a, so we're on number four of the five tips, but I haven't heard you say cut out, you know. Never. I never say cut out. In fact, upgrade. I had a, I had a, I had a woman and, and a man the other day as a couple, and they said, "You haven't told me what I can't eat." I said, "I'm not going to ever tell you that. I want you to slowly, if you like wine, make sure your wine is good. If you like pizza, make sure your pizza is good. Don't be wasting your pizza on some crummy pizza. So, okay. we're going to crowd the crummy stuff slowly out by adding stuff into your diet." And those are some of the nutrients we always talk about. Yeah, you know, I mean, omega three fats. Yeah, and, I mean, I look at people. What do they eat in the morning for breakfast? And what are they doing? And we look at the timing. You know, the the patterning of eating. So that's another one. We talk about meal patterning. So again, we really. And, what, and what's the what's the last kind of takeaway for this conversation on what someone can do? Well, I'm going to give you two more. One of the one one B is that you, you need to start thinking about upgrading. And I think people love to upgrade. They love to upgrade their clothes or, you know, cars, whatever it might be. But as you start upgrading your nutrients, you're putting those better nutrients in your body, and your body's going to work with you, not against you. Okay. And then from there, we move into, you know, daily movement. Because it's not about moving your body to burn calories. It's about moving your body to have healthier hormones. Mm. And so when I move my body, motion creates positive emotion, Anxiety gets, you know, it's all the stuff that we're talking about, mental health, because the mind and body are completely connected. So that's uh, to come back to the conversation of an individual comes in, they're obese, they've struggled with it, they say they're dieting, they're exercising. We say it all the time. We've seen diets, we've seen exercises. It's not specific to what you're trying to do. Could be 
you've been on the elliptical or the treadmill and you hate it, it's creating stress, it's causing inflammation. There's different ways to exercise or move. So I think that's a good point. Yeah, we're trying to create a lifestyle that they can start to be able to, one of the things I put in here is learning how to pivot. So you, you can make changes depending on what you like or not like. And that's what we get sucked into, that we have to follow a prescription approach, whether it's a diet or a medication. And then if we don't know how to pivot, then we start all over again. And so that's really, it's, we need to teach our society about lifestyle and health, and, they, and everybody needs to take more ownership. But it doesn't have to be painful. It can be enjoyable. It could be, um, you know, all sorts of wonderful things. Because when people have their health, they have, you know, that's the king. They don't have their health. They don't have a whole lot. And part of this obesity conversations is about that. So, again, our takeaway, I think this is a tool. Uh, we don't want to discourage anyone that has had success and it's, it's working. I think what we want the 110 million people that maybe are thinking about this at this moment, including, I think, millions more that want to just do it for quick weight loss, there's a way to do it with a long-term satisfaction, sustainability, I think better results because at the end of the day, when you think about obesity, it's categorized in this health bucket. And for me, health is defined as the absence of disease and illness. Boring. It's like so, such a bad definition for me. I look at health as being your best. How can you, how can you individually be your best? And I think, you know, I'm, I may be, uh, a little bit on the, the fringe with this, but I think when they classified obesity as a disease, we've kind of uh, just kind of thrown our hands up. And I think there's, there's good reasons, but I think the bad reason is now 110 people, 110 million people have a disease that is extremely preventable, extremely reversible, just like type 2 diabetes. And, um, and, I, and I think the other thing, too, sometimes I think people, like, they lose hope. And if you can take one thing at a time, remember, everything begins at the cell level and everything starts percolating, you know, from inside to outside. The body always heals from inside out. So when you're not losing weight right away, your body might be getting healthier mm. and healthier and healthier. And eventually the weight will slowly get where you want it to be. Do you need to be ripped? No. It's all about creating a lifestyle that you can repeat, but also having a weight that you can feel comfortable with. And so most of the time when I sit down with a client, I'll ask them, so you're weighing 250 pounds today. What would you like to weigh? Many times they'll say 180. Like, I don't think that's where we want to go. What if we could maintain between 225 and 230? And they're like, wow, I, I could do that. Yeah, because if you think you got to go down to you know, 180 or whatever it is, you're like, I don't know if I could do that. That's and a, now that's an, it's, Mount Everest. it's Mount Everest. So again, it's these incremental changes, create a lifestyle that you could like one step at a time. So yeah, the takeaway... We all have choices. Uh, we want to just be a guide. This was something that kind of fired us up. We wanted to explain our thoughts. Again, we'd love to hear comments, thoughts, as always. And uh, we'll see you again next time on the Rest, Eat, Move podcast. If you have any questions, shoot us an email, info at ontargetliving.com. We have our 21-day challenge going on. That's You can sign up at any time throughout the year. And uh, happy to help. We'll see you again next time.